Jesus, Son of God, the darling of heaven crucified, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Good morning. So glad that you have chosen to be with us this morning. If you're visiting with us, we are in the middle of a series that is lasting the entire year on Sunday mornings. We have asked our congregation here to pick up the devotional book, One Word, which takes one word each week and follows that word through a series of devotionals, Monday through Friday, and then it culminates with us talking about that word on Sunday morning. And of course, the word this Sunday is resurrection. How appropriate, right? You know, this is a Sunday that I place quite a bit of emphasis on. I feel quite a bit of stress and anxiety leading up to this Sunday. I feel a little bit of angst every Sunday as I prepare a lesson and get ready to preach it on Sunday because I want to do the very best that I possibly can. But this Sunday is a little bit different in that we usually have a really good crowd this Sunday morning, not that we don't normally here at Oldham Lane, we virtually every Sunday have a good crowd, but especially on Easter Sunday, we have a lot of visitors. And what do you preach when you know you have a lot of people visiting who may not be here again, or may just be passing through? If they come this one Sunday, you want to make an impact, right? You want to preach something that pierces, your, uh, pierces their heart. If you only have one bullet in the chamber, you've got to make sure you hit your target, right? And that's how I view this particular Sunday. I've got to make sure I pierce your heart because I've only got one shot for many of you. And this is not a Sunday that I feel the urge to shame anyone for not coming to church more often or things like that. I, I don't believe in that. I just hope that this morning I can say something that inspires you or encourages you to want to strengthen your daily walk with God. And maybe if you haven't even begun a daily walk with God, maybe, maybe what we talk about this morning will, will encourage you to do so. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is a blessing to be here. And I want to thank you for all of those that are here this morning. And I pray that you will that you will help me, Lord, to say the right things in the right way that will help all of us to strengthen a relationship with you, to go all in in faith, to seek to imitate your son and to be everything you would have us to be so that we can spend eternity with you. It's in your son's precious name I pray. Amen. I want you to think about the crowd in the Gospel of Matthew. There is this crowd, this mass of people that is following Jesus from place to place. Why don't we just take the crowd this morning and let's put it in the Gospel of Matthew. And, and I want you to imagine that this crowd is there and Jesus is in a boat off 
from the shore a little ways because the crowd had grown so big and they were pressing in on him that he had to, to get in this boat to stay away so that the people would not smother him. And so he has us there as his audience. And this is what he says. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed some seeds, some fell by the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, you've got to think about yourself as someone who doesn't have foreknowledge, okay? So you're, you're reading this after the fact, but consider you're in the crowd the first time you hear Jesus speak these words. He's got this large mass of people around him, following him from place to place. And he says, what? I mean, this is what he chooses to say? And the people are left wondering, what, what in the world are you talking about, Jesus? What are you saying? You know, Jesus does something very interesting, and it's quite the opposite of what most preachers would do in this day and age. Most preachers in this day and age, when they have a large following, would say something to rile the crowd up, to get them more excited to follow them and to bring more people with them, but not Jesus. Preachers today, when they see a crowd, they see a massive opportunity. When Jesus saw a crowd, he got skeptical, didn't he? And Jesus looks at the crowd and he lays it on the line. He doesn't seem to be interested in playing to the masses. He doesn't seem to be interested in marketing himself to the large crowd. Anytime Jesus saw a crowd, he laid it on the line and he does so right here. You see, this is something that I struggle with somewhat. Because I look at America's definition of church and it's all about bigger and better, right? Bigger crowds, bigger budgets, bigger buildings. And Jesus never seemed to be interested in that. At least that wasn't his first priority, right? And so he looks at this crowd. And he speaks these words to him. Words that they don't understand. Words that are kind of curious when you have a large crowd. But here in Matthew 13, he gives them a parable about a sower and some seed who, who, who sows seed on different types of soil. And after he's finished, he looks at his disciples and he asks them, or his disciples ask him actually, why do you speak in parables? And Jesus answers, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have in abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In other words, Jesus spoke to the people in parables so that some would intentionally not understand. Isn't that what you get out of this? And isn't that interesting? I mean, isn't it the goal of education to try to impart words that people will understand? Isn't it the purpose of teaching that the student grasp what it is that you're saying and process it and turn it into application? But Jesus seems to be saying here, I'm speaking words that they intentionally won't understand. Why? 
Because the ones who really want to know are going to do what? They're going to keep following. People who really want a meaning are going to keep following him because their interest is piqued. They want to know exactly what it is that Jesus is talking about. And those that are only following him because they want their bellies filled or because they want to see a miracle or whatever, those people who are just intrigued, well, they're going to turn away. And Jesus knows their hearts. And he's not going to waste his time with those folks. Those are not the soils you water. Because in the end, they're not going to grow anything anyway. You see, Jesus says, I'm interested in those who really want to understand, who really want to hear. And so he tells this parable about throwing some seed on the hard ground. You know, back then, many, uh, many paths were so hardened, they were almost like concrete because people tread them all day. And the sun packed it down and made it really hard, and the seed falls on that ground, and the birds just come and eat it up. They're indicative of the person in the crowd who, who says, you know, I, I hear you, Jesus, but I'm not interested. I only showed up because my wife made me, right? And then you have the seed that falls on the rocky soil, which is indicative of the person who's impulsive, who says, I'm all in, Jesus, I'm ready to go. And then trials or tribulations come, and they're like, oh, whoa, hold on. And they turn, and they walk away. Like in John chapter 6, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and the people said, this is a hard teaching. And many of them turned away from following him. As soon as it gets difficult, they jump off the train. And then you have the people who have the type of soil that is thorny, and the seed falls on that ground or that heart, and maybe it sprouts up, and maybe it shows some signs of growing to maturity, but it quickly gets choked out by the thorns and the weeds, and that's indicative of the person who is ready to go all in, who seems to accept God's word, who seems to be ready to follow, but they're a little too interested in the thorns and the weeds of the world, and they can't cut ties. They can't let go of the things in this life that hold them back. And they're trying to do this balancing act and trying to live in two worlds. And Jesus says, I'm not going to water those soils. Why? Why would I? I know their hearts. Nothing's going to grow there. I want the good soil. I want the person who has cultivated their heart, who has removed the rocks and removed the weeds, and who is sincerely following me because they want to know what it means to be a disciple. That's the people I want. That's the soil I'm going to, to plant in, and that's the, that's the plant that I'm going to water. And the people who really want that are going to follow me. They're going to come after me. And so the question, and I have a few questions for you this morning, but the first question I have for you is, who are you in the crowd? Which one are you in the crowd? Are you that person who is just here because your wife made you come? I mean, it's Easter. You come to church, right? That's what you're supposed to do. But you're not real interested in anything other than just being here and, and leaving. Are you impulsive? Are you the person who says, yes, I'm all in, but maybe adversity or, or trials have come and you've decided that you're not all in anymore? Or maybe you're someone who's trying to do that balancing act and you're someone who wants Jesus, but you want the stuff in the world as well. And you're having a hard time reconciling the two because you want to be a follower, but you want to follow after the things that lead you away from God as well. Who are you in the crowd? Let me ask you this, another question, and please listen, because your answer to this question means everything. Are you ready to die? 
that sounds kind of sinister, and I'm not, I can promise you nobody's going to hurt you this morning. Let me ask it this way. Are you ready to live a resurrected life? Are you ready to die to your old self and live a new life for Christ? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard to you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of their surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection." and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We all know what a resume is, right? You ever filled out a resume? Chances are you probably have. If you're about to graduate from college, you know all about getting a resume ready so that you can apply for a job. What is a resume? It is a list of your accomplishments, basically, right? But you can't just list your accomplishments. you got to spruce them up a little bit. When I was in high school and college, I was a bag boy at a grocery store. But I didn't put on my resume that I was a bag boy. I was a customer service representative, right? Because you've got to glorify the position a little bit. Paul is dealing with people who are constantly giving their resume. Don't you hate it when people do that? You ever, ever have a conversation with someone five minutes in, they start telling you all their accomplishments and how, how much of an expert they are in something, and you think, oh, okay, I don't need to hear this. That's what Paul is dealing with. The people in Philippi, by and large, were pretty arrogant people. Philippi was known as Little Rome. It was like a suburb, almost, of Rome, if we could call it that, a bedroom community. It had all the rights and privileges of Rome. And so they were pretty arrogant, and they thought that they had some special standing. They were actually considered a Roman colony with the, with the special privileges and rights that come with that. And so they talk about their resume, and they talk about all the great things that come along with being associated with Rome. And Paul says, who cares? Doesn't matter. None of this matters. You're putting the emphasis on the wrong things. You see, Paul is also dealing with certain Jewish Christians who followed him wherever he went and who constantly wanted to cause trouble by saying that there were certain aspects of the law that needed to be bound on the Gentile Christians. And Paul was constantly dealing with this friction. These Jewish Christians believed also that they had some sort of special standing in the kingdom because of their heritage. And Paul's telling them, no, you don't. 
You're not any better than anyone else. And this circumcision that you're trying to bind on others is not fleshly. That's not what it is anymore. That's been done away with. And he talks about a circumcision that is spiritual in nature. You see, the true circumcision were those who could rejoice in Jesus Christ, who could worship God in spirit and in truth because they had been clothed with Christ. Paul then takes the matter even further by giving his own resume. He says, look, if if you're going to give a resume, let me give you one. He says, circumcised on the eighth day, a genuine Jew from birth, directly descended from Jacob of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a highly religious person, diligent in fulfilling the requirements of the law. But Paul says, you know what? None of that matters. It doesn't make any difference. And he even says, I count all things but loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You can give your resume, I can give mine, and at the end of the day, neither one of them matter. Because what matters most is who you are in Jesus Christ. Paul basically says that he takes his list of accomplishments and he wads them up and he throws them in the commode and flushes them down the drain. Because they don't matter. They're garbage or filth, as the Greek explains it. If you use the King James, it says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Paul counts his accomplishments as nothing more than a pile of refuse. Garbage, filth, dung. It didn't matter if he had followed the law and been circumcised. The only thing that truly mattered was knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Now, it's interesting that if you look in the Greek, in the original language, to know derives from the verb genoskain, which almost always indicates personal knowledge. So what we gather here is that Paul is not trying to give facts. This isn't theology. This isn't an academic lecture. Paul is saying, I don't want to just know something about Jesus. I want to know Jesus. And if you follow this thread of know or to know throughout the Bible... You go back to the Old Testament, to know had to do with a sexual intimate relationship. So you take that, you take Genoskane, and you look at this, and Paul is talking about knowing Jesus personally on a very intimate level. To say, I don't want to just know facts. I want to walk the way he walked. I want to bear the cross he bore. I want to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Whatever it takes to know him better. And I'm going to put that above anything and everything. Notice what he says. He says, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death so that he might attain to the resurrection from the dead. I I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what brings you here. I'm just happy that you are here. But I want you to know something is that we at the Oldham Lane Church of Christ care deeply about you and about your soul. You're not just a number. You're not just someone who is a part of the crowd. We don't look at you that way because Jesus doesn't look at you that way. And I I want you to know that if you're here and you're searching, or if you're here and maybe you haven't been at a place like this in a long time, I've got another question for you. And that is, what do you need to throw away?
It is my belief that we are all really good trash collectors, but we're not very good garbage men. We're good at collecting the trash. We're not really good at sitting it by the curb and letting it get picked up. And I don't know where you're at this morning, but maybe you need to throw something away. Maybe you need to dispose of something. What do you need to get rid of in your life? Is it maybe a a relationship with someone who is pulling you away from God? Is it work? Is it school? Is it beer? I mean, what is it? What do you need to throw away in your life or count but loss so that you can gain Christ? What is it that you need to set to the curb? You can leave here this morning and you can return to the life that you have always been living. And you can kind of check this off the list. But is the life you're currently living going to get you to heaven? Let me ask that again. Is the life you're currently living going to get you to heaven? You may live a life that is very pleasurable, but not very profitable. This guy, Paul, used to have a powerful position in the Jewish faith. And he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it changed his life. So much so that he went from being a persecutor of Christians to being a proclaimer of Christianity. All because of the resurrection. And you can come this morning and you can sit in a pew and you can hear a sermon about the resurrection, but does it change you? You can believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but does it change you? Does it do something to you? Does it affect the way you live and completely change your livelihood? I like hot dogs. I'll just tell you. I like burnt hot dogs. I like them on the grill so charred that they bust open. And I like to just cut them up and dip them in ketchup and eat them that way. Sometimes I put them on a bun and I smother them with relish and ketchup and mustard. I like them that way too, but I like hot dogs. Do you know what's in hot dogs? I don't. And, and I don't want to know. And anytime I'm eating hot dogs and somebody says, you know what's in those? I close my ears and I talk out loud and I say, don't tell me. I don't want to know. I want to operate under the assumption that hot dogs are chock full of the daily vitamins and minerals I need <laughs> to be healthy and to live a long and prosperous life. Are you that way when it comes to the Bible? Do you have a set belief in your mind and nobody's going to tell you any different? Somebody tries to tell you, well, you know, that may not be the case. I, I don't want to hear it. So many times our belief system is based on feeling more than it is the Bible. And sometimes I hear people say, well, I, I refuse to believe in a God that will do this or that. I, I refuse to believe in a God that would send anyone to hell. You refuse? Be careful. Because your refusal may be refusing the right thing. Have you gone to the Bible to check that out? Maybe your preacher that you grew up with was wrong. Maybe that guy who preached the funeral was wrong. Maybe all good people don't go to heaven. Maybe your grandmother or your grandfather taught you wrong. 
I mean, it's vital that we get our truth from the Word of God and not from our own feelings or from things that we have heard all of our lives, although some of those things might be true, but it's always good to re-examine those things, right? To go to the Scriptures to find out if what is being said is actually truth. You ever seen the movie A Few Good Men? You may remember that scene in the movie where Tom Cruise, the the attorney is pressing Jack Nicholson, who's on the stand, and he's pressing him for the truth, and he said, I want the truth. And he says, you can't handle the truth. Can you handle the truth? Can you handle the truth of God's Word? The prevailing sentiment today is just believe, just believe in something, and just be a good person, right? As long as you do more good things than bad, you know, you're going to be okay. You ask the majority of our culture if they're going to go to heaven, they'll say, yeah, I think so. Really? You're going to base your livelihood on I think so? You're going to base the eternal security of your soul on I think so? You're going to wager your soul on, yeah, I think so. I want you to leave here confident. I want you to leave here knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt that if your life were to end today, you're going to make it. Notice Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. You know, you may very well be dead this morning. I don't know. I mean, you may be alert. You may be alive. You may be breathing. You may be, you may have a pulse. But still dead. Because... Paul says, those who are outside of Christ, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. I don't want you to leave here dead this morning. I want you to leave here a resurrected individual. The truth of the matter is that many are dead in their trespasses and sins. But here's another truth. And cling to this one because this one is just as important. There is a cure for deadness. Only Jesus is in the resurrection business. And nobody has to remain dead. Everyone can be brought to newness of life. So don't sit here this morning thinking, well, I'm too far gone. There's no way that God would ever forgive me. That is selling our Savior short. Jesus Christ, who died and on the third day rose again, can't forgive you? His blood's not enough to cover you. Are you serious? But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I read the story about a 65-year-old man who had a heart attack and died, or at least the people thought he did. And so the people in this little village prepared his body for burial. They put him in the ground, and the first shovel of dirt hit him, and he woke up. And he cried out, you people are trying to kill me and bury me alive. And of course, that wasn't what they were trying to do. But they immediately pulled him out of the grave. They dusted him off, and their funeral immediately turned into a party. You want to turn your funeral into a party? Then don't live a dead life. Live a resurrected life. Live a new life in Christ. In 1992, there was a Los Angeles County correction, uh, parking control officer who, who pulled up on a car that was parked illegally along the curb. And so he got out and he wrote 
a citation. The window was partly down, and he reached in, and he laid the citation on the dash, not once noticing the individual sitting in the front seat. And that gentleman didn't raise a fuss. He didn't argue about the citation. He didn't try to debate it. And the reason why is because he was dead with blood on his face and a bullet hole through his head. And this parking control officer got in his car and left without ever realizing somebody was dead in the front seat. And as Christians, we have to realize that all around us, there are walking dead. There are people who, de who are dead in their transgressions, and they don't need people writing them tickets. They need people showing them love, noticing who they are, seeing into their heart, their soul, seeking to give them something that they don't have and perhaps they don't even know about. If you're in a dead state this morning, it is not my, my intention to write you a ticket. Because you don't need a citation. You need resurrection. Which is what we all need, right? And I want to encourage you to live a resurrected life. I want to close with this. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, we read of Mary Magdalene and Mary and the mother of James and Salome going to the tomb of Jesus. And they were bringing these spices to anoint the body of Jesus on the first day of the week. And they get there and the massive stone is rolled away, which is... Very curious, because who was going to move away this massive stone? And they look inside, and they see this man in white sitting there. And this man, as they are startled, says this, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to, to, to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Now, did you catch that? Go, tell his disciples and Peter. Why and Peter? He was one of the disciples. And I think the reason was because of what Peter had done. Peter had denied Jesus three times, even when he said he wouldn't. And I think this man is saying, make sure you tell Peter. Because I want Peter. Jesus wants Peter. Jesus wants to speak to Peter. He wants to forgive Peter. He wants to give him a fresh start. You may have walked in this morning into this church building, and you felt like, that, uh, that dog that got loose in the, church, in, the, in the school when my kids were in Cassville, Missouri. When we were there, the kids came home and they couldn't wait to tell me about what happened at school. A dog got in the building and everybody was laughing and everybody was carrying on about it. And it disrupted the whole school day. And maybe you felt like that when you walked in. Oh no, everybody's looking at me. I don't belong here. People are going to ask, what's he doing in here? Or what's she doing in here? Nothing could be further from the truth. And you notice when you walked in, the roof didn't cave in. It's good that you're here. What's even better is that you leave here being right with God. It's good that you're here. What's even better is that you have the resurrection change you. You may feel really uncomfortable this morning. And maybe you believe and maybe, maybe you want something more out of life. 
I have no doubt that the cure for deadness is at your disposal and Jesus wants to raise you, but the question is, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? Clinton's going to lead us in a song and we offer an invitation to anyone who'd like to come forward and seek prayers. Maybe if you'd like to, to study the Bible with someone and maybe you don't feel real comfortable with all these people coming down the aisle and talking to me, find me afterward. We'll talk. We want to help you. Our purpose is to make and grow disciples. Do you want that? We want to help you. Come now as we stand and as we sing.